Lord, we uh, want to be um, changed by your word this morning. We don't want to come to your word um, and not view it as something that is um, life-giving and um, truly from you. So we ask that as we read your word this morning, as you um, show us your heart from your word, that you would speak to our hearts and that you would change us from the inside out and that we would know um, your love for us, know your design for our church, um, for the church as a whole, why we gather together as your people and that we would be, um, yeah, just encouraged by that. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So as we talk about our third core value in family, we are going to be in 1 Peter 2, verses uh, 1 through 10, and as our main text. So let's pick up now 1 Peter 2, 1 through 4. It says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So First Peter is a book written by Peter to the Christians in the early church. And the key themes of First Peter is the suffering that we will endure as Christians, as well as the imperishable inheritance that, is, that we will receive. And at the beginning of his letter, Peter refers to the believers he was writing to as exiles because they were uh, dispersed in the areas of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And uh, the ESV commentary says this about the people in these areas. These provinces were ethnically and at times linguistically diverse. Yet all these territories had been impacted by Greco-Roman culture and were firmly under Roman control from the mid First century BC. And so we see that not only were these, these, uh, the people in this area uh, feeling dispersed and isolated and as exiles because of just who they were in that area and the, the, the areas that they lived in, we also see that the Christians were experiencing persecution from, because of who they followed, because they followed Jesus. In response to this uh, rejection and the feelings of isolation as exiles, Peter reminds the believers of the living hope that they have received in Jesus. He refers to this, this living hope as an imperishable inheritance that is rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to the strong emphasis Peter puts on this at the end of 1 Peter 1, verses 23 through 25. He says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the word, this word is the good news that was preached to you. So Peter is showing the believers who are going through this intense persecution and suffering and rejection from the people around them that they have an internal inheritance that cannot be taken away. And it's as sure as the word of the gospel that was given to them. And then Peter, he refers to Christ as this living stone. And that as the living stone, Christ himself was rejected by man, but he was found to be, in his words, chosen and precious to the Father. 
And he's reminding them that while they may be experiencing rejection from others, they can find the compassion of Christ, knowing that he was rejected by men as well. And as they look to Christ, they can find comfort as they fellowship with Christ in his suffering and his rejection. But Peter does not end it there. He goes on to say this in verse 5 of 1 Peter 2. He says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And here's where we find our first truth of this morning, which is this. We are a people with an eternal inheritance. We are a people with an eternal inheritance. See, I love what, what Peter is doing here. As he's caring for the Christians that he is writing, who are feeling dispersed and rejected by men, he is pointing them to the, dig- the bigger picture. That, that while they may be feeling rejected by men, and while they may be feeling uh, this persecution by men, they have been chosen and seen as precious to the Father because they are also in Christ. And though they may feel isolated and alone as exiles, they are actually unified as they are each living stones, part of a, what God is building up into a spiritual house. And in the same way, we as a church have our core value of in-family because we recognize that our unity as believers goes much deeper than the foundation of this building. We may meet on Sunday mornings, which is great, and we love what God does here, but it does not and should not end here. We are people who are being built up and a part of something that is much bigger than what we do on, this, this in the, on a Sunday morning. Peter makes reference to this fact that we are being built up into a spiritual house, and he uses the analogy that we are living stones that God is using to build the spiritual house. And this spiritual house, much like the temple of the Old Covenant, is the meeting and dwelling place of God. In Revelation, we read John's vision that he had of heaven. He says this, After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, this, this vision that John is seeing in, in heaven is of the church worshiping Jesus and giving glory to God. We also see in this vision the fruition of our eternal inheritance. What we are building here as a church, our relationships are eternal. When we grow in relationship and friendship with one another, we are building something that is eternal and is being stored up for us in heaven. And one day we will join all together along with all the other believers who have gone before us and those who will come after us praising God and giving him glory for what he has done. And what this should do for us practically is to call us into deeper relationship that goes beyond the surface level conversations. The enemy loves to to isolate us and keep us alone in our faith. I know time and time again this this lie is spoken to my heart that, you know, you're different. Everyone else has it all figured out. You're the only one struggling with this. And as 
Uh, we remember that we are part of something that is deeper and far more eternal than the here and now. We can have deeper fellowship with one another where we, where we can walk in this, in this relationship with each other where we can go deeper and actually talk about the things that we're struggling with and the things that we're dealing with. The deeper fellowship will expose the lie that we're alone and isolated as we see that actually everyone else has their own struggles as well and that we can walk together in this. That, that God has brought us together as a people to be in this, this deep fellowship so that, so that we can be vulnerable with one another, so that we can grow in, in relationship with one another. The deep, the deep uh, fellowship that he is inviting us into invites us out of our isolation and loneliness and into relationship with one another. And we are living this faith life out together and we can actually lift one another up in prayer and encouragement as we point each other back to Christ. But not only do we have fellowship and an eternal inheritance, we also have a new identity. Let's continue reading in 1 Peter 2, picking up now in verse 6. It says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So here we see this, this dividing line and this contrast between those who believe and those who do not believe. Between those who have received Christ and seen him as precious to them and those who have rejected Christ and found him to be an offense. This is the, the polarizing nature of the gospel. The gospel presents us with this, the cold, hard facts about ourselves. That we have sinned against a holy and righteous God and as a result deserve eternal punishment. But God in his great mercy and love has sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that anyone who believes in him will be saved. And, and, that's, and the divining line is you either see your need for Jesus and you believe in him or and receive him, or you reject that and trust in your own understanding and be condemned. There is no in-between or middle ground. See, those who reject the gospel and their need for Jesus are left isolated and outside of the family of God. But for those of us who have believed this wonderful hope of the gospel, have been adopted into God's family, and have received a new identity. Look at how Peter shows us this in 1 Peter 2, 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Here's where we get our second truth for this morning. We are a people with an identity. We are a people with an identity. See, earlier early this year, um, I was going to this men's retreat in North Carolina, and I didn't know anyone else who was going to be at the retreat uh, when I was going, um, but they told us to uh, fly to uh, Greensboro, North Carolina, where there would be uh, someone to pick us up. Um, so I had a layover in Chicago, and I remember seeing this person at the gate as I was waiting for my flight to North Carolina, and I thought to myself, it's a small flight, I wonder if he's going to the same retreat get to the uh, airport, it's a smaller airport, get to the, the area that uh, we were supposed to meet with the pickup, 
and uh, so, and I was as I was heading that way, I saw more men, and I was having the thought, I wonder if they're going to the retreat. And before long, uh, we all came together at the, the designated pickup time, and all those people who I'd seen, even the, the guy in Chicago, showed up to that spot, and we were all now unified instead of being random strangers in the airport. And the reason I share that story is because we went from being, again, that random strangers all separated in the airport to being one unified, united group that was going to this retreat. And in the same way, as we receive the message of the gospel, we're not saved to just be uh, individuals isolated on our own, but we are brought together as a body of believers who are identified as the people of God. See, the language that Peter uses here in 1 Peter 2.10 points back to the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea was a prophet of God, and God told him to marry a harlot and that their relationship um, and marriage together would be a symbol of God's covenant for his covenant love for his people and uh, despite their unfaithfulness. And then this first chapter, we see that Hosea and his new wife, uh, they conceive children. And for each of the children, God gives a name which symbolizes the condition of the people of Israel during that time. So uh, they have a son and then they have a daughter and that daughter, God says to call her no mercy and says, He says, for I will no longer have mercy on the house of Israel. Then they have a son and God tells them to name him not my people. He says, for you are not my people and I am not your God. And these are obviously very strange and peculiar names to give a newborn child. But when we first fast forward to what we see here in 1 Peter 2, we see these names in new light. 1 Peter 2.10 again says this, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So you see the connection between Hosea and this passage here. Peter is, is saying that no longer are you, a, you not a people. You are now God's chosen people. And no longer are you a people who have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the reason this is so important for our topic this morning is that we have been saved and redeemed in Jesus And we have been given a new family as those saved and redeemed people in Christ. Peter describes us as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And the reason why this can be said of us is because we were once people who had not received mercy, but now we have in Christ. This is the new identity that we now have. This is what brings us together. And this bigger picture of why we gather is this identity that we have received in Jesus. We are not saved to just be individual, again, Christians who meet once a week for an, hours on, for an hour, a couple hours on a Sunday, and then live the rest of our life isolated from each other. We are saved to be brought into this new identity of a new people who have been saved from our sin. A people who were once lost and isolated in our sin, but have now been adopted and brought into the family of God. A people who were once outcast and exiled with no mercy, but now have received mercy in the gospel of Jesus Christ and are united into a new people. As we value meeting together and growing together as a family of believers, it is not for us to build a name for our, just our church. Rather, it is so that we can be a people who are united in our new identity found in Christ. Our identity as we gather together is, is what joins us together, is what unifies us. It's not our our nationalities or our likes, our dislikes, or our personalities. It's our new identity as a people who have been redeemed, who have been saved, who have received mercy. 
But so what's the ultimate purpose for all this, right? We have, we've seen so far that we have been building something that is an eternal inheritance and that we have a new identity, but how should this affect our day-to-day lives? So the answer to that question, I believe, is found in the second part of 1 Peter 2.9. Let's read it again. He says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people of his own possession. And he says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Here's where we get our third and final truth. We are a people with a purpose. We are a people with a purpose. I have this uh, memory when I was a kid that I was visiting a friend at his house and I remember going into his uh, bedroom and he had all of these Lego sets that he had built. And I had never seen so many Lego sets in one place. I was so excited. I loved Legos. And there were, there were spaceships and pirate ships and castles and cars and you name it. All sorts of different Lego sets all around his room. And I remember I wanted to play with the Legos and I asked him which one would, could we play with that day. And he said, no, no, I, I don't play with them. I, I build them, I glue the pieces together, and I leave them to be looked at only. I thought that was the strangest thing because I'm like, isn't the point of Legos that you, yes, build them and play with them, and then you take them apart and build something new? And I just thought that was the craziest thing that he would do that, and I couldn't imagine having so many cool Legos and not playing with them. In the same sense, many of us have lived our Christian walks this way. We think that Being a Christian is about displaying ourselves in our Sunday best once a week, and that's it. But our lives as Christians have a far more important purpose and mission, and that is very practical. I believe that purpose is found here in this second half of verse 9, where Peter says that we may proclaim the, the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Essentially, Our purpose and our mission is to proclaim the gospel that saved us. And it's not a bad interpretation to say that this is what we should do, to share the gospel with unbelievers in our lives. But we can also fall into this incorrect thinking that the gospel is only for those people in my life, the the non-believing coworker, the non-believing family member, and not for me now that I've been saved, I, I, I can move on to other things. But it is actually just as vitally important that we remind each other and tell each other of what the gospel is within the church as it is to non-believers. One of the ways that we can live this out as a church and that we have designed it here as a church is that we have these city groups. These are groups where we can come together throughout the week and build relationships with one another that are centered on the gospel. In these groups, we're not presenting a Sunday morning version of ourselves, rather We are coming together and sharing our struggles and our joys, and we are doing life together. Our heart and our desire for these groups is that we would be, it would be a space where we can share vulnerably and honestly with one another. As we are invited into that that deep fellowship that I was talking about before, now that we can do that in a space that is, is more intimate and more connected. And we can talk about the struggles and the trials that we are facing, as well as the joys and triumphs we are celebrating. And as we're able to share vulnerably with one another, we're also able to build one another up in the faith as we encourage and exhort one each other with the gospel. When someone shares a sin that they're struggling with, we can remind them of the gospel and how it applies to that situation in their life. We can share that the gospel turns our shame into gratitude. 
for what Christ has done and leads us into a life of repentance and holiness as we draw near to God and receive his cleansing and forgiveness. If someone in the group is going through something that is hard and is feeling hopeless, we can remind each other of the gospel that gives us eternal perspective and hope that does not fade away. As we experience the joys of walking with Jesus and the blessings that come from God, we can praise the Lord together for his grace and faithfulness to to us even when we don't deserve it. As we do this, we are proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light to one another. And if you're not a part of a group yet, we will be hosting the City Group uh, Connect Night this Thursday where we can uh, talk about the groups that we have, the times, and, and find one that would work for you. And if you'd like to be a part of that, there's actually a sign-up sheet in the back on the connection table where you can put out your information and we can uh, tell you where this is going to be. So I would encourage you, if you have not a part of a city group, that you would come to that event this Thursday. But I would also like to invite you to connect with one another one-on-one, to go deep with each other. I know I have been blessed by so many of you in this church as I've had opportunity to connect in these ways. These are also great opportunities to go deep and be vulnerable as you share the things that you may be walking through. And then remind each other of the hope of the gospel and how it applies to our lives. As we form a practice of doing this, it will then become more natural to share the gospel with people in our lives who have yet to put their faith in Jesus. As you are uh, living a life marked and identified by the gospel, people who are not Christians will recognize something different about you. This presents an opportunity to share that it is by God's grace that you live that way. As you are doing that, you are, again, proclaiming the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are proclaiming what God has done in your life. And we proclaim this message of the gospel as an invitation into a family that we ourselves have been adopted into. Sharing with those who do not know the Lord the message that we have received and now cherish. And we can do this with boldness, knowing that just as we have been called out of darkness into the light, it is the Spirit who is doing the work of calling these, those, in, those individuals to believe in the gospel and to come out of the darkness into the light. But maybe you're in here this morning if you're wondering, and you're wondering if, if everything I've been saying can be said of you. Perhaps it is because you have yet to receive and believe in the gospel for the first time. Or you have done that, but your life has not looked like you know it should. You have not walked in a manner that is worthy of your confession of faith. If either of those could be said of you, let me draw your attention back to 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So the invitation into this family and holy nation of people is an invitation of repentance and drawing near to God and experiencing his goodness in the gospel. If you've never done that, I invite you to to do that, to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus as your savior. That you you would find the goodness of God in the gospel, that he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins, to bring you into back into relationship with himself. And for those of you who have done this before, but like I said, you, you're feeling the, the burden of your sin, the shame, the, that not walking in a way that is worthy of your confession of faith. 
We are still, each and every day, all of us, invited into this lifestyle of repentance where we, we put, our, put away the things that once defined us as exiles in sin and then turn to the goodness of God made available to us in the gospel. As we do this, as we draw near to him in faith, we are being identified as his holy people who have been marked by his love, mercy, and grace as he continues to transform and shape us into his image. This is the life that we can live together as God's people, an identity in a family that is not just for Sunday mornings and then we live our separate lives after that throughout the week. Instead, we can live this lifestyle together as a community of faith, going deep and growing in fellowship with one another as we point each other to Christ and our need for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, just your word and the, the picture that we have of you building us up as a, as a spiritual house. We ask that um, as we see that picture, as we see that eternal inheritance and the identity that we have received going from people who, were, who had not received mercy to people who have received mercy, that you would draw us deeper into fellowship with yourself and then into fellowship with each other. I ask that uh, we, would, we would be challenged by your, the, the word of the, the gospel, that we would see our need for you each and every day and that we would find you as precious and as good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.